Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we all share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a great session for you in this week's episode, so let's jump right in. Are you looking for the best resources to help you build a regenerative lifestyle? New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. They publish good news and solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they may change the world for the better. Their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They care deeply not only about what they publish, but also how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society Publishers has the books you need to help build a better world. Buy your print and ebooks online at www.newsociety.com or at fine bookstores near you. Now, I don't always have the pleasure of interviewing my guests in person, but I was fortunate this time to be able to sit down with Zach Lokes, permaculture teacher and author of the book, The Permaculture Market Garden, last week while he's down here in Guatemala, co-teaching a PDC with Abundant Edge and Atitlan Organics. In this episode, we had the chance to talk about a lot of subjects that we missed on my first interview with him back in season one. We explore the topics of putting culture back in permaculture and finding ways of sharing and communicating in other forms such as art and music. There's also a surprise right around the 23 minute mark of this episode, something that you're unlikely to hear from me ever again, but you can always find on Zach Loke's MC Ecology Instagram page. So check that out for something that you've never heard on this podcast before. Later in this session, Zach also talks about the challenges and advantages of the high tropical climate that we have and how some of the difficulties might be managed creatively. For anyone looking to get to know Zach better, you can hear more about him and his background in our first interview on market gardening from season one. And of course, there's a link to that episode right in the show notes on the website. So let's jump back now to my little porch overlooking the lake and catch up with Zach. All right, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Zach Lokes. Again, if anybody is interested in hearing his background, you could go back to the initial interview that I did with him in season one. But uh, how are you doing? You're here in the flesh in Guatemala helping to teach a permaculture design course with us and Atitlan Organics. How's it going so far? Yeah, yeah, it's going it's going really great. Um, I'm super psyched to be here. This is a beautiful part of the world. Uh, there's so much rich culture. Uh, I love looking around at all the plants and trying to associate them to designs that I have in my mind for, you know, temperate climates. And yeah, I'm glad to see, check out your projects, check out Shad's projects and just be part of what you guys are all doing down here in this part of the world. Fantastic. Well, it's a blast to have you here. And I know you've just come off of a lot of other travels in the previous months. I've been following you on Instagram and your posts on Facebook. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the projects and the organizations that you've been visiting around the world? Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, it's been really rewarding uh, moving around with the Permaculture Market Garden book and sharing that knowledge to a diverse array of people. Um, It's been taken in for commercial application for market gardening in the Northeast, doing a lot of work with uh, Yes Tomorrow Design Build School and 11 Acre Farm, uh, developing culture food forests there. 
Um, also, you know, traveling down to South Africa, working with uh, groups down there, the Hope Foundation, um, and starting to build some permabed food forests down there, actually looking to train teachers uh, on how to build uh, edible ecosystems, edible food guilds, and then they can bring that knowledge back to the schools. So that's a, a really great project that uh, we're going to be touching back with uh, in the coming year. And um, yeah, I've been uh, along the West Coast. Um, really interesting to, to, to see what's going on there. I just recently did a trip down uh, from Portland to uh, San Francisco. Uh, visited some really innovative farms that are doing dry farm orcharding, um, some really sustainable market gardens that are really pushing the edge uh, with soil health, and um, just seeing how we can galvanize energy behind this movement. And what I really like to see is how there's so many similarities, uh, you know, from Africa to Israel to Portugal or, you know, the East Coast to the West Coast of the U.S. or down here. There's just so much uh, similarity to be had. Uh, and that's permaculture. It's, it's seeing those universal principles, those natural principles that we can integrate to create sustainable design. Fantastic. Yeah, I found similar things in my own travels, not only just with permaculture projects uh, that are land-based, but also natural building as well. Now, you said that there's a lot of commonalities within the organizations and the sites that you visited in your travels. Can you tell me about some of the more unique, um, let's say, challenges or issues that are facing different regions and perhaps some unique approaches that you found during your travels? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you, you always see the different climates, uh, the different environments and ecosystems that people are working within. Um, but one of the commonalities is that, you know, within all of those, we have ground cover plants and we have, you know, overstory trees and understory trees and berry bushes and nitrogen fixers. So, you know, the design of uh, integrated food production is applicable in every ecosystem, in every different biome in the world. Um a lot of the other things happening with different organizations or businesses is this uh, struggle to balance um, the the ethics and the ideology behind permaculture with the profitability uh, that we need to actually keep that uh, farm running, keep that ecological business running. Uh, and so finding um, those ways to streamline it. And one of the things that I'm seeing, and it, it's been really rewarding because I, you know, I, I put this out in the book, this idea of balancing your, your um, enterprises on a farm and actually having maybe three uh, major enterprises as both the kind of minimum and maximum of your focused productive uh, diversity. And it's been really rewarding to see that the most successful um, projects I've found are tending to do this, that over the years, they're naturally tending to simplify. But the diversity of the farm uh, is is not going down. It's just it's a little more focused. It's like focusing on berry production, but still having abundant flowers integrated into the gilds. You're not you know managing flowers for cut flowers or for edible flowers, but you have them there. But you're focusing on that berry production is one of your key enterprises. So I, I'm tending to see that everywhere I go that the, the the really successful farms on all scales, the successful homesteads are finding uh, a way to a simpler diversity, a more productive, effective uh, agroecological production. Yeah, that's one of the ideas that I hear echoed from a lot of, like you said, the more successful and profitable enterprises within permaculture. Uh, I know 
people like uh, Joel Salatin really preach niching down and getting your enterprises kind of focused so that you can make them more efficient and effective. Uh, Mark Shepard as well talks about finding the perennial plants that naturally do well in your your bioregion, your, your ecology, and then just figuring out how to best gild them and integrate them in with other supportive systems that take down the amount of work and maintenance that you do. And I know that was another thing that we wanted to talk about too, and that's finding a way to balance your lifestyle and make sure that you don't get mired in the systems and the maintenance that you've designed in for yourself. In your own context and in your own farm, but also within the examples that you've seen in your travels, how is this, uh, can you give us some examples of how this has worked out well? Yeah, this is a really important thing and it's near and dear to my heart to, um, you know, design your farm so that you're able to farm it and it's not farming you. And this starts right at the get-go, especially if you're just getting into living more on the land or to start a, uh, a food-based or ecological-based business, that you focus right away to kind of set out some goals, have a holistic plan in mind of what you want out of your life that's more than just the production, that's more than just that, so that you start to question uh, every every decision you're going to make and bounce it against that holistic goal. Um, and this, you know, this has uh, been developed by Alan Savory and um, this holistic management, this holistic goal idea uh, is, is a great one. I recommend people follow through on that more um, in other readings. And I've, I've integrated that into, into my production and allowed that process of revisiting my original goals, um, which had, you know, uh, I'd like to travel a little more and be able to see other projects and to gain, you know, information through that journey. Um, I'd like to be able to, um, you know, have uh, time to, you know, nurture my creative side. And, you know, I manifested that with this book, The Permaculture Market Garden, because I did, I took, I took the, the systems that I was doing on my farm and the production and put that in and fueled that through creative design to produce a book that was artistic and design and also about, you know, skill-based knowledge sharing, right? Um, so these, a lot of these things were actually in my original holistic goal uh, that was put together uh, seven or eight years ago after I'd already been farming for three or four years. Um, and it's it's about creating that tight vision of how you can balance your own personal journey and, you know, your community and your land and not lose too much track of where you want to go in life by just constantly, you know, buying more equipment for your farm or constantly just getting bigger in your production because you can, it's easy to get bigger. It's difficult to stay small. It's difficult to stay true to your um, your original life vision. Um, so I think that that's uh, something that should really be visited upon is look into a holistic goal, uh, consider making it. We just did that today actually with the students at Atitlan Organics. I think it was a great exercise and everybody was like really keen on exploring how they could take a lot of the designs uh, that they had been learning and a lot of the you know mapping techniques that had been taught and then kind of go, okay, hold on. How do I bring this back to myself and what do I really want to do? So you design a farm and a life that you want to live because if you don't last, your farm won't last. Yeah. And with uh, increasing diversity and different enterprises on projects like this, it's so easy to get mired down in just the amount of tasks that you have. Like we're fortunate to be living in an area where 
hiring labor is very cheap. So it's fairly easy for us in comparison to perhaps in other countries to farm out some of our maintenance and get support that we can justify with the small amount of uh, profits that we're making from the little enterprises that we have on our homestead. But I really like that you brought up lifestyle design because that goes so key in with um, basically any type of lifestyle project that you're putting in. And, and don't get me wrong, if you're doing anything with the land or even with the uh, home building or infrastructure building, your lifestyle will be included in it. And if you don't design sort of an end game of how you want to live, uh, this is a trap that I personally have fallen into quite a bit, especially as like a new business owner and only just in the last handful of years. You very quickly just start taking on as much as possible and it takes over your life, you know, especially most entrepreneurs and early um, startup business owners fall into this trap so easily because, you know, you have trouble perhaps with cash flow in the beginning and you think that just taking on more work is going to solve that. And eventually you end up in a state where you're working more hours than if you had just stayed with a job at another company. And that defeats the purpose. Like the best part about working for yourself is that you can potentially set your own hours. But if you don't have that lifestyle design planned out in the future, it just ends up being as much of a trap as anything. Yeah. No, I, I hear you with that. That it that's so key. Uh, it, one of the things I'm really getting keen on too is 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 helping bring kind of commercial level skills to home gardeners and homesteaders because a lot of times uh, there's there's some 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 pretty good skills that can really help gain efficiency. I mean, do you want to have a garden and, you know, you know, buy, you know, a bunch of expensive transplants for three, four dollars a pop, say a pepper, pepper transplant and put it in the ground and, you know, you weed a lot and you get a couple green peppers, right? And, but it's, is this your lifestyle? Is that the light? Like you, you know, you put forth, oh, I want to, I want to be surrounded by food. I want a garden. What do you want? Like, like, do you want to have 30% of your food meds uh, needs met from your own garden? You know, or do you want to have 30% of your food needs met from your own garden by growing all of your berry needs? Let's get specific on how we're gardening, how we're farming, focusing it, because also, do you want to be able to play music? You know, do you like to take hikes? You know, and, and also orienting that, that, that farm business and that garden business around like what you really like to do. So, you know, I'm starting to move more into seed and, um, and nursery because I love having my hands on trees. That's what I love, you know, and I'm like, all right, you know, I did a lot of great annual production systems and I've been transitioning towards, you know, a woodland agro ecosystem. And increasingly it's going where I wanted because I always followed that, that true vision of my personal journey, uh, that I want to continue to have my hands on trees and I want to continue to, to, to do it in a way that I also get to my time to have my hands on, you know, other activities like time to do some sketch art and time to take a walk, you know, and time to be with, you know, family and friends. So time to be down here, teach a PDC in Guatemala and see what you guys are up to. Right. right. Yeah. It's been fantastic having you here and we've got a whole nother week. I'm going to be teaching the practicals on natural building up on the course uh, later next week. So that's going to be fun too. Um, along with what we were talking about, um, there is actually still a lot of potential to do more with unused land. I know it's kind of a little awkward of a transition here, but it was something that you and I were talking about last night over dinner is that 
many of the plots that we think of as being kind of useless, everything from medians in between highways, um, strips between sidewalks and roads, all kinds of unused land, like little islands and parking lots, have a huge potential, especially if managed uh, correctly. Can you talk a little bit about the potential that you see in those places and what you would do with them if you had better access or if you could perhaps convince a municipality or a local government to make use of them? Yeah, for sure. And honestly, like this is forefront in my mind right now. I'm, I'm constantly looking at uh, underutilized spaces in cities and suburbs and countryside. Um, you know, anything from a field that grows a monoculture, which is not maximizing its photosynthetic potential, to, like you said, the medians or green spaces we have in urban and suburban areas that just simply aren't also uh, maximizing their potential. And yet they're also the areas that are right adjacent to people. So we need to bring food back to where people live. We need to bring true human habitat back to where people live. And that's, you know, clean air, fresh water, abundant, diversified and useful plants, good shelter, community. You know, is there anything really more human than, you know, walking along a berry hedge together, picking berries, putting some in our mouths, talking, putting some away for later? I think this is what it is to be human, you know? It's movement, it's fresh food, it's clean air, you know, it's putting aside some for later to bring home to the to the home. Um, so I would I would see these spaces get utilized to get layered appropriately with site appropriate plants, uh, to get, you know, uh, a, a program grow- going to start to trial uh, what's going to be successful in different areas, uh, and to start to move genetic material around. And um, it's coming. It's coming. I see a ton of potential for those types of things in community building projects as well. I mean, think about, especially in the suburbs or even in urban areas, much like around where I've lived and grown up at different stages of my life, many of those times I didn't really know my neighbors at all. We didn't interact with them hardly at all. There were very few public spaces in those neighborhoods for us to interact, even if we wanted to. And it's created a big divide in our culture and in our day-to-day interactions with our communities, which I think... Uh, inviting spaces and transitioning from, like you said, like maybe just a, a bunch of grass in a median to a berry patch or something could really facilitate those types of connections and help to unite community. That's one of the big potentials that I see in those types of things. And also, I think there's possibly a lot of easily moved around resources. Just think about how many of those spaces that we just talked about are regularly mowed by heavy machinery. That's not cheap. <laughs> And if you just diverted that money away from the unnecessary maintenance of a monoculture that brings no joy to anyone, it would start to take care of itself and give dividends back to the community for probably, especially over the long term, much less money than it costs to maintain them as basically a dead green patch. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would say that like to add to that, you know, look, I love looking at the, the machines and tools that are currently being used in, say, universities and public spaces and saying, how can we take what's already here, what's already in use and change how it's used? How do we take this leaf blowing system and make it into a mulch application? You know, how do we uh, take these spaces that people move along all the time, like the long lanes where students walk to and from classes? It's so frequented, it's just crying to go into a diversified guild. It's crying for black raspberries, red raspberries, pears, you know, 
time and things like this. It's just crying for it. And it's really easy, actually, to maintain the human environment that we've created because we created it to be fairly easy to maintain, except for we have monoculture, which is actually very costly to maintain in the long run. So if we divert that money into something that's eventually going to start to regenerate itself to maintain itself more or less, and people are going to enjoy using and interacting with, I think it'll really transform the way that we uh, commune and the way that we are able to access good food. It's going to uh, change you know, our food sovereignty and start to really bring that closer to home. I mean, I'll even go out on a limb here and for the amount of potential that I see in something like that, if anybody listening here is like part of a civic planning committee or knows somebody in local government who potentially would latch on to an idea like this, please contact me directly at AbundantEdge.com on the contacts page. I would be more than happy to give free consultation or planning session uh, to anybody who thinks that they could even get a small project like this started. Um, I, I would be more than happy to give my time and efforts to, to help that along. So let's switch gears a little bit here and go back to something that I know you're very passionate about as I've seen uh, your presence on social media. And that's bringing culture back into the permaculture that you do as work. I know you like to integrate music and other forms of art into expressions like this. Tell me a little bit about why you're passionate about communicating these principles and these ideals in new ways. Yeah, I mean, a part of it is about just having that diversity of your your own life and what you like to do. So, you know, uh, beginning to integrate, you know, illustration back into my my work, which is something I did when I was younger, uh, and exploring music, spoken word again. Um, it's just part of expression for me. But also, I, I think that, you know, this is key is that agriculture, you know, uh, you know, it's about bringing back um our daily cultural activities to be relevant to the most important things around us, which is, you know, people and food and land stewardship and quality housing. And, you know, that's cool and that's beautiful. And, you know, we can, we can start to create conscious lyrics and music and uh, we can create, you know, beautiful murals and things that are out there right now, but continue to cultivate that uh, through permaculture and natural building and things like that. That idea of reintegrating uh, music and hip hop and art and um, everything into permaculture and gardening and homesteading and all these wonderful regenerative uh, professions and activities. Yeah, I mean, this opens up the gates for people who are not particularly interested in interacting with gardens or farming to have meaningful contributions to the general movement of regenerating and reviving the health and the potential of this planet. You know, if your passion is music or if your passion is art or if your passion is engineering or something even seemingly unrelated – there's so much opportunity to express yourself and help to advance positive initiatives and projects like this through the lens in which you see the world in, you know, offering your talents and your expertise um, to have a positive impact. Tell me a little bit about uh, the, the hip hop that you do along the lines of permaculture, because I've been following that Instagram feed for a while and I love what you're putting out. All right. Um, well, I think instead of tell you, I think I'll just spit something. All right. But you got to kick me a bit of a beat. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. 
Yeah. Take a seed from the top of any tree. It's what you need. Put it down deep in the ground so slow where the water flows. That ecological system is going to grow, grow, grow. You know a seed opens up, letting out a little root, a little cotyledon. and it's going to go up, up, supping on the sunlight. Going to grow with mighty might. Going to grow a food forest, an ecological agroecosystem so that we can have good food for women and men and children. We only borrow the earth from our children. So we got to give a little seed, my friend. Nice one. I knew you had a good flow and you just waiting to come out. <laughs> so there you go. There's an excellent example of how you can express yourself in new ways that seemingly are unrelated, but have a fantastic opportunity to project your personal contributions and talents into something that's really beneficial for everyone. So thank you for sharing that. And if anybody is interested, how can they find out more uh, about what you're doing? Well, you, you can definitely check out my Instagram and Facebook feed uh, at Zach Lokes, uh, and you can put that out, I guess, for everybody. Uh, for the hip hop, I do have a channel uh, at MC Ecology, where I mostly try to spit things that have uh, a kind of ecological or food-based, um, uh, you know, soundtrack to it, right? So, yeah, check it out. All right. Well, before we go here, and I will put up all those links in the show notes on the website, uh, Tell us a little bit about your experience down here in Guatemala. You visited our budding homestead and all of our projects that we've been doing, including the um, <laughs> the waterway crocodile and shark, which we'll post pictures of on later. That was a great contribution from one of our local students named Ricardo. Um, and you've also spent a lot of time now up at Shad's Farm at Atitlan Organics. Tell us a little bit about your impressions, some of your ideas of uh, the differences between the ecology and the biodiversity here than where you're used to farming. Um, yeah, I'd just love to hear your impression. Yeah, uh, first of all, I've got mad respect for you guys that are just, you know, digging out homesteads and gardens from the sides of this this land. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, this part of Guatemala along Lake Atitlan, this is the highlands of Guatemala. There are some steep uh, mountains here. There's volcanoes. There are bones in the earth here. There are rock. There is a lot of rock. Um, and so it's a really big design challenge and an opportunity. So that rock, you know, presents great uh, opportunities for pavings or creating rock walls for heat sinks. And um, it's been really rewarding to uh, take some of the guild designs and hugoculture designs that I've been integrating on my farm and other places and using them in with this rocky land, um, uh, creating, you know, a mix of hay bale with stone wall, with a hue culture compost system to create these edible ecosystems. Uh, we did two installs uh, yesterday and today. Um, and yeah, it was really great to see that and really great to see just all the ways that everybody here is, you know, beginning to cultivate community. There's a, there's a, a great community that is building here uh, around food forest design, around uh, education, around sustainable building, um, and around, you know, the cultivation of community in itself. I really feel that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to be a part of it. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you here. We've still got more than a week left to go. So we're going to make the most out of the time that we've got you. Um, and I would love to hear more about your ideas for how we can be developing the homestead. You had some awesome um, 
kind of observations and initial ideas for the sections of our land that we haven't even started to touch yet, just because we got to finish up the projects that we started before we start getting off into everything. Uh, and like you said, because of all the rocks that we have, it's slow moving. But when you do make uh, adjustments in the land, they're fairly permanent um, and they're very long lasting because of the durability of the materials that we have to work with. And you know, it definitely is a challenge working with these types of uh, structures and factors on the landscape. But definitely coming from a natural building perspective, I basically have all my little playground tools right there in our land and we got to move them so that we can plant plants anyway. So we turn them into like dry stack walls for uh, on contour for terracing. We've used them in our foundations for the house. And in that way, we've been able to avoid using a single drop of cement in the entire structure. Uh, so, you know, as is always repeated and is like the favorite phrase in permaculture, the problem is a solution. If you are having an issue with a surplus of something, you really just haven't been creative enough on how to use it. And so, you know, constantly coming up with new ideas of how to use these resources that would otherwise be, you know, challenges or deterrents. And, you know, the creativity challenges like that, it's, just, it's always fun. You never get bored with that around here. <laughs> All right. So um, we're going to check in with you again on another episode soon. And you, me, and Shad will have the opportunity to sit down and go over a lot of the concepts that we want to dive deeper into. So until next time, thank you so much for making the time today. It's been a real pleasure having you here. Always a pleasure and look forward to the next time. <laughs> Maybe I'll even have chairs next time. We're just sitting on the floor on my terrace right now. With a, Don't get me wrong, a great view of the lake, but uh, I'm just renting this place temporarily while we get our, our house uh, built. So the next time you come and visit us, we'll have much nicer infrastructure to accommodate you with. Very naturally integrated here. We're very much, you know, part of the landscape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you got you to gotta live your own process. All right, cool. We'll check in again soon, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye. See ya. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops that we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we all share. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com or you can post your questions directly to the Abundant Edge podcast Facebook page to which there's a link in the show notes of this episode. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you again in next week's session.